Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. What a beautiful day to be in church. I'd like to welcome all those in our Grovetown campus. I'd like to welcome all those in our South Campus, all those watching online, all those vacationing in Orlando, and all of those who are are like on I-95 watching from your cell phone because I know you're stuck in traffic somewhere between here and there. Hey, it's Master's Week, right? That's what happens in Master's Week. You know, you start thinking, I hope you've had a a great time, maybe uh, caught a little bit of the tournament. I was thinking about that. um, You know, everybody has a Master's favorite, right? And so this year, I'm I'm rooting for Charles Schwartzel, and um, he's down a couple, but it's good. And the reason being is a couple of years ago, uh, when Easter Sunday was before Masters, he showed up at the creek. And so he uh, sent a text and said he had a great service. So I thought, anybody who comes to the creek, I am going to celebrate. I'm going to root for him. So, um, but thinking about that, I, I just noticed uh, Hamilton uh, Coleman over here in Hamilton uh, is one of the students here at the creek. There were only three in the drive, chip, and putt contest last week. And so three from Augusta, that is. And he happened to be one, and it's nice to have a creaker uh, competing. You know, I'm not much of a golfer. I can kind of relate to Billy Graham that says, you know, the only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, if I hit it right, it's a slice. If I hit it left, it's, it's a hook. And if I hit it straight, it's just a miracle. But today we're uh, not- noting Master's Sunday here in Augusta, but it's also, more importantly, it is Palm Sunday. And we're gathering with millions of people across the world to, uh, to remember what took place and to retrace the, uh, the steps of Jesus as we enter into Holy Week. You see, Holy Week started with Jesus making a triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. This story is so important that it is mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This was one of the the most monumentous um, moments of the disciples' lives and of the entire um, ministry of Jesus. And as Jesus and the disciples came into Jerusalem that day, it was packed with people because they were there for Passover. I mean, it was crazy amount of people. It was like, it was more packed than Waffle House on Christmas Day and more packed than Augusta, Georgia on Master's Week, for sure. But as Jesus came in, he was honored as royalty, and people were waving palm branches to welcome him. And, and palm branch, uh, the, um, as they waved these palm branches, it has significance. In those days, palm branches were a symbol of power. It was a symbol of dignity. It was a symbol of honor. They even put palm uh, fronds on the coins of that day. And so as they're waving those palm branches, they're signifying that of a coming king. They actually took off their coats too, and they laid their coats down on the ground uh, to welcome him as Jesus came riding in on a donkey. 
And you say, well, okay, Jesus had been in public ministry for three and a half years. So, I mean, what's different about this day? Why did it all happen at this moment? Well, the reason it all happened at this moment was that Lazarus uh, was raised uh, from the dead. Lazarus was a friend of uh, Jesus, his sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, Jesus was in another town. Lazarus took sick. He died they buried him. He had been in the, uh, a tomb for four days, and Jesus came. And Jesus said these words, Lazarus, come forth. And, and Lazarus came back to life, and the news of that spread everywhere. I mean, people were talking about it. Did you hear about that? And then as they talked about the fact that Lazarus was dead and now he's alive, that was the friend. They knew who Lazarus was. Then they said, could it be? Could it be? Is, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he uh, the one that we've been looking for? And that's what caused the, the fervor in the community that day. So we open up the pages of the book of Matthew and read, read the story in Matthew chapter 21. It says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred and they asked, who, who is this? And the crowds answered back, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Notice that they had the word, they shouted the word Hosanna. Now in those days, Hosanna meant Lord save us or save our nation. And as Jesus was riding in on this donkey, they literally thought that Jesus was coming to set up a political kingdom. They had been overwhelmed by the harshness of the Roman government rule there in Israel. And they saw Jesus and his ministry as a way to push back the oppressors and that Jesus would become a political leader. But Jesus had a different plan. He did not ride in Jerusalem on a golden chariot. He didn't ride in on a white a stallion. He didn't come as a, a king, conquering king. He rode in Jerusalem on a donkey, an animal that symbolizes humility and servanthood. When you think about that, Jesus came to serve. Here's the point. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to be served. You know, we live in a culture that wants to be served. But we as the the uh, people of the Lord, we, are, we as Christians, we as believers, we are here to promote the name of Jesus and to take on his attributes. In other words, we're to be kind. We're to serve people. And that's why this week is so important because this week we start Love Week. And every day this week we encourage people to be very practical and just be kind to people and to serve others, to serve people. Because you're no more like Jesus than at that moment when you're loving someone and you're serving someone. Jesus rode in on that donkey 
symbolizing humility, symbolizing servanthood. And when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, people said, who is this? What do we know about this person? So over the next few minutes, I just want to, to open up the pages of the Bible, and I just want to tell you the story of Jesus. You know, the Scripture teaches us that if we lift up the name of Jesus, he will draw all men unto him. And so over the next few minutes, I just want to tell you the story of Jesus from the beginning up until this point. What do we know about Jesus? He was born in Bethlehem to parents around 4 B.C. His birth took place in an obscure stable in, in the backyard of a local inn. The angels announced his birth. Local shepherds came, and magi came from the east there to worship him. From the very beginning, this baby born in Bethlehem was no ordinary child. In fact, his birth was foretold by the prophets hundreds of years prior to this. In fact, he fulfilled over 50 prophecies given uh, from 400 years and even up to 1,000 years before he was born. In fact, here's an example of this. In the Old Testament, some four or 500 years before Jesus was born, Micah comes on the scene in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 and said, the Messiah is coming and he will be born as a baby in Bethlehem. And we see in Luke chapter 2 that that prophecy was fulfilled. We see also Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Isaiah said, the Messiah is coming and he will be born from a virgin. We turn over to the New Testament some, I think, 700 years later, and we see a Virgin Mary give birth to baby Jesus. Jesus began his public ministry when he was 30 years old. And his life leading up to that public ministry is somewhat of a mystery. We don't have a lot of uh, data on that. But however, we can put together some some historical references, we can put some, together some scholarly perspectives, and we can put our own thoughts in that and kind of develop of what his earthly life prior to his public ministry must have looked like. What was life like for Jesus growing up? We know that he had five brothers and an undetermined amount of sisters, so he was in a large family. We know that Joseph, his earthly father, was a woodworker, was a carpenter. And in those days, the firstborn son would fall into the path of their earthly father. So, therefore, Jesus was in a carpenter. He was a woodworker. We know that woodworkers were middle-class people, and so Jesus understood that. He was raised in a home that was very comfortable with prayer uh, he was raised in a home that was devoutly Jewish. The family observed all the ceremonies and all of the holy days. Jesus was fluent in Hebrew and well-read in the Jewish scriptures. He studied at the local synagogue there in Nazareth. What else do we know? He attended his first Passover when he was 12 years old. And we know that because that was the story when Jesus stayed behind as Mary and Joseph left to go back home that he stayed behind there at the temple to carry on further discourse with the leaders there. Jesus must have been raised in a home that was uh, very respectful for women. 
because his comfort with was women at that time and his respect for women was revolutionary because the culture was not that. But Jesus was very respectful of all. He lived in a home that was compassionate, compassionate for the needy and the outcast, and he was willing to, to dine with people who were outcast. And in those days, uh, tax collectors and uh, were considered outcasts, but, but Jesus would show up at at a tax collector's home and would dine with a tax collector. What else do we know? Joseph apparently died when Jesus was maybe in his teens or even younger because we see that Mary went to the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And at that point, when you would go to a wedding, your husband would go with you, but Joseph was not with her at the wedding, which leads us to believe that Jesus, as the firstborn was there being um, guarding his mom and taking care of his mom to make sure that she got to the wedding. We can just put some of these things together. Up through his 20s, he continued to discern his own uh, faith, and I believe that he lived an ordinary life, a hardworking young man who had a, a deep faith. But when Jesus was 30 years old, he went to John to be baptized at first, John was shocked that Jesus would come um, uh, to be baptized, especially by him. He said, no, no, I, I am not going to, I am not even worthy to, to stoop down and to uh, tie your shoelaces. I, I'm not going to baptize you. And Jesus convinced him that this was uh, God's will for his life. So we pick it up in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like him on a dove and lighting on him. And then a voice, a voice from heaven spoke. Can you imagine being there at that baptismal service? And then this, we, we picture a deep voice, you know, coming out of the clouds saying this this is my son whom I, am, whom I love and I am well pleased. So Jesus' baptism symbolized a new beginning. In a few weeks from now, we're going to be sponsoring a baptism. And many of you who are new to the faith, you will go public with your faith through the waters of baptism. And when you go public with your faith through the waters of baptism, this is symbolizing a new beginning. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus' new beginning opened the doors for his public ministry. And his ministry had a very clear focus because he goes over to the synagogue and he opens the scrolls and he reads from the book of Isaiah. We see this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus traveled from that point on from village to village, proclaiming 
the Lord's favor, he proclaiming the good news. He went to everyone. To in Jesus's viewpoint, everyone mattered. He went to the outcast, the poor, the outcast, the under-resourced, the forgotten. He, you would see him going to the sick and those who are in trouble physically and emotionally and spiritually and financially. He would go and he would touch them. He specialized in not only helping other people, but to serve other people. He would do menial tasks that some people would think, oh, somebody in your uh, stage would never do that. What am I talking about? When he bent down and washed the the feet of his disciples, or maybe when he, he made breakfast for the disciples. These are just menial tasks, but he was demonstrating his heart for others and serving others. Nothing was beneath him because he came to serve He went to the broken and beaten. He went to the misunderstood. He he went to people who the society would think, they're outcasts. You don't belong in Jesus' presence. But he would go to those that feel like that they were outcasts. He went to people who were demonized, who were afflicted. All types of people were drawn to him. We see doctors, we see lawyers, we see millionaires, elected officials, prostitutes, tax collectors, fishermen. Over and over, people came out of the woodwork to follow him. But there's a lot of people that didn't understand it. And those are the people that day in Jerusalem said, who is this? Jesus. Now, we ask that question today, and who is this? Over the next four minute, uh, few minutes, I want to talk to you about four titles that Jesus carried. And in, the, in these titles, it helps us understand who Jesus is. And I really feel like it's important as we go into this Holy Week that we retrace the steps of Jesus. We understand who Jesus is. So we prepare our hearts as we go through Thursday and we go through Friday and And we celebrate on Sunday. Who is Jesus? First of all, Jesus is the Savior. The very name means, the name Jesus means God saves. That's why the the crowds were shouting that day, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, God save us. They recognized him as the Savior. We think about the very name of Jesus as it was... uh, um, Spoken in those days, it came from the name Joshua, and Joshua means save. He came to save. That's what the angel told Joseph that day. When Joseph was struggling with Mary's pregnancy, and the angel appeared and says, you are to give him the name Jesus for what? He will save his people from their sins. So first of all, Jesus is the Savior. Secondly, today, what do we know? That Jesus is the Christ. Now, being real practical here, so many times we hear people talk about the Savior, and they said, Jesus Christ. And so in my elementary mind, uh, and maybe some of you, they, okay, Jesus is his first name and Christ must be his last name. But that's not it, really. Christ was a title. The word Christ means Messiah. 
It's not a family name. He's not a part of the Christ family. It's a title. Yeah, I mean, when, this week, when you see President Biden on television this week, and you say, oh, there's President Biden, you know that president is not his first name. That's his title. That's his title. And so we, we see that. In the same way, the term Christ comes from a Hebrew word that means the anointed one, the Messiah. To call Jesus the Christ means he is the one whom God has promised to send us, to deliver us from our sins, to deliver us from those things that hold us back. So Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. Thirdly, Jesus is God's only Son. Jesus is God's only son. The phrase God's only son speaks of his relationship with the Father. In the King James translation of John 3.16, we're told that what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In IV, it said his one and only son. That's what it means. It means this one and only. He is one of a kind. There is no one other than him. He is God the Son. The fourth one is Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. The final title means that uh, he is Lord, it means that he is sovereign over everything. He is in charge. He's over the entire universe. He has the sovereign rule over you and me. God is sovereign. Here's the point. God is sovereign. He is in control even when it seems like he is not. His things are out of control. I realize some of you are in church today and you feel like that, that your world is spinning out of control. And I just want to speak to you very clearly that God is in control, that God is sovereign over your life. God is sovereign over over your life. God is in control. All of you look beautiful here. You look beautiful here, but and so many times it's our beauty is just a front. That if we could pull back the layers and see what's going on inside, it is the, the chaos that's going on the inside that seems that makes us feel out of control. Well, I want you to hear me that God sees you from the inside out and God is speaking over your life and he is reminding you that he is sovereign today, that he is in control today. Though your life may be spinning out of control, God is in control. Jesus came and they proclaimed that Jesus is Lord and the reason that was so significant, because in those days, a common phrase is Caesar is Lord. But there is only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. There's only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. This is the message of Philippians chapter 2, when it says, Therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. There's only one Lord. 
There's only one way. We live in a culture that promotes this idea that there are many paths to God. But the Bible is very clear. There is only one way. For he is the the way, the uh, truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And so we've got to understand that the cultural uh, verbiage of saying, oh, there are many paths of God, comes from the evil one himself. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the one and only. One day, everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day, Every Christian, every Muslim, every Buddhist, every Hindu, every atheist, every agnostic will go to their knees and say, Jesus is Lord. That's the story of Jesus. And over the next few days of this holy week, I encourage you to pick up a Bible and read it for yourself. I would encourage you to go And watch the series, The Chosen. And just understand Jesus' life and let those words just speak into you. And as you hear the story of Jesus, weigh it against the writings of secular history. And then consider the facts. What are the facts? Jesus lived a perfect life. What are the facts? He embodied the attributes of God. That he fulfilled dozens and dozens of century-old prophecies written hundreds of years before he came. Consider the fact that Jesus authenticated who he was by performing great miracles in broad daylight in front of skeptics. He demonstrated his mastery over nature. He demonstrated his mastery over sickness. He demonstrated his mastery over death by bringing Lazarus back to life. That was the very thing that caused the energy in the crowd on this Palm Sunday. But the interesting thing about that crowd, as they were shouting, Lord, save us, Lord, save us, save our nation, and there's such an energy in the crowd, what happened? That later that week, by Tuesday, that energy started to, to dissipate. By, by Wednesday, by Thursday, those same, many of those same people that were saying, Hosanna, save us, had turned and now was saying, crucify him. Crucify him. They flipped. On Sunday, it looked like they were all in. They were all committed. But by Friday... By Thursday, Friday, they were all against, and they were ready to crucify him. What happened? Here's what I feel. They missed an opportunity to be a part of what God was doing in the world. They saw Jesus, and they recognized him as the Lord, as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the one and only. But sometime between um, Palm Sunday and, and Good Friday, they flipped and they cried out to crucify him. They missed this opportunity. I don't want you to ever miss the opportunity 
to have your life changed by Jesus. As I was thinking about this message today, so many times we deal with felt needs here because I really feel like that dealing with with, um, putting the gospel right in the middle of your life, it changes everything and how you live, and it is important to do that. But equally as important for us today on this Palm Sunday is to lift up the name of Jesus. Because the Bible says that when you lift up the name of Jesus, he will draw all. Today we're lifting up the name of Jesus. And the reason we're lifting up the name of Jesus is because I believe that he is here today and he is knocking on your heart's door. You may be in our South Campus, you may be in our Grovetown Campus, and you may be in your car headed home, but Jesus is here knocking on your door. Because he sees what your life is like. He sees the condition of your life. He sees the chaos that's going on. He's, he recognizes the sin in your life. The lack of peace. The fear. And he is speaking very clearly today. I'm coming to you. I am, in fact, I am knocking on the door of your heart today. And the challenge that we have today is, are we willing to open the door and allow him to come in? Are we willing to do that? You know, I think about so many times that, you know, let's say you're going to somebody's house and you walk up to their their doorsteps and, and you ring the doorbell. How many times do you ring the doorbell before you turn around and and walk away? I mean, I'm, I'm probably about one or two, and I'm gone. And Patty's over there said, "No, wait a minute, give him some time." How many uh, rings are you? Are you one, two, three? Do you wait outside for five minutes, then ring again, or then do the, the you know? I feel like that Jesus is like that to you today. In fact, listen to the words of Revelation 3. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone, anyone, that means anybody, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've failed to do. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, this is talking about people who have never been saved. God is knocking on the door saying, let me come in your life, into your heart. But I also believe this could be talking to some of you who are believers, you're saved, and God has been speaking to you. Are you hearing his voice? Anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, I will come in. I will come into your life. I will come into this problem. I'll come into this situation. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to open the door today? What is it going to take for you to say, Jesus, come into my life? come into my heart. You know, so many times when we think about prayer, I think 
some of us do not pray because we've convinced ourselves that we have to have some type of prayer that really could be more like poetry than it is like prayer. That we approach God as this formal conversation, talking with words that we don't use on a normal basis, and that's how we get those prayers answered. But that's not the case. I think God leans in and answers the simple prayers. And you've heard me say this before. Oftentimes, it's those simple prayers that come in two words. God, save me. Save me. Forgive me. It's the simple prayers that's coming out of your heart. How about this one? God, help me. Have you ever been in a situation where you just need you just need help. And you're in a, such a desperate place that, that all you can just look up and say, help me. I think that is some of the most effective prayers that someone could ever pray. Help me. Save me. Lead me. Guide me. Those simple prayers today. Jesus is saying to you, I am standing at the door and I am knocking. If you'll just open the door, I'll come in. Just open the door. Just, just reach out. Just, just twist that knob. Just, just pull. Open the door. If you'll just open the door, he'll do the rest. He'll come in. If you'll just listen, listen to his voice. Listen, he'll speak to you. Over the next few minutes, I believe that God wants to speak to you. And I want, as we approach this prayer time, that we come to a place where we just zero in and, and say, God, speak to me, and that we listen to what he is saying. For some of you, that will be a prayer of salvation. Say, Jesus, come in my heart and save me. But others, God is going to give you direction. God is going to give you clarity. Most of all, I believe he's going to give you peace. So as we prepare for prayer in this auditorium, in Grovetown, in our South Campus, and wherever you're watching from right now, I just want you to be open, open to God's promptings, and open to God's direction. So let's just bow our heads now, and I'm going to give you just a, uh, just a minute just to hear, just to listen to God's promptings in your life. Let's pray. Father, in the holiness of this moment, we welcome you. And Father, I pray that you would have your way in this place. Father, I pray specifically for those that have never been saved, and this is their day to pray that prayer. And if that's you, I want you to pray this. Say, Jesus, save me. Say that. Say, Jesus, save me. Come into my heart.
forgive me of my sins. Say that, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And make me into the kind of person you want me to be. Say this, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Father, I pray not only for those making decisions today, but I am praying, God, that you would speak with clarity to those of us that need guidance, that need wisdom, insight. God, I pray that you would open the doors that we're to walk through, but close tightly those doors that we're to stay away from. Father, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would bring peace. Lord, that you would bring inner peace. God, that you would bring peace in the workplace, that you would bring peace in the classroom. God, that you would bring a sense of peace in our families. We pray this in Jesus' name. God, we hear you knocking. And in just sincerity, we're saying, come in, come and fill us with your presence. And today we receive what you have for us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.